0: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Terminus, the jetpack refueled of extreme metal podcasts. I am the death metal guy, a.k.a. post-black bands now required to submit a land acknowledgement for the uh, DSBM territory that they have colonized for so many years. (laughs) (laughs) They should have to fucking do it, man. You're living
1: on Nictalgia
0: land, pal. I, I, you know, the, 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 the lands that total self-hatred stewarded for us for so many years. (laughs) Yeah,
1: That's true. DSBM had no concept of land ownership.
2: (laughs) Um, It was actually
1: post-black that sort of, um, uh, with its, its artificial conceptions of private property, post-black moved in and sort of, um, uh, Moved in and broke off pieces of the DSBM collective.
0: Post Black, Post Black moved into a DSBM neighborhood, gentrified it, and then called the cop saying, uh, "Sir, I, I, I think the man in the apartment next to me might be cutting himself."
1: God damn, that's a good joke. <laughs> the joke came to me at the same time, and I was just <laughs> hoping you had it. I, I was, I was like, "Is this where he's going with it?" Good. Okay. And. <laughs> and i am the black metal guy aka watching only the sad first 2 minutes of animal adoption videos on the dodo in order to get in character for my um in order to practice my cry voice for a series of exhaustive kingsfield lore videos
0: <laughs> i was actually watching a big kingsfield retrospective the other day those games are uh they're man. so
1: they're they're so human they're interesting, but
0: boy, they look like shit to play <laughs> man i've been I've been actually fucking around with a lot of like uh sort of into mid 90s games lately. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are some gems, but boy, the uh if anyone's gonna argue that basic UI and game design principles haven't improved over the last 30 years, they're fucking lying to you. Um, anyway. We've been talking about video games. This is actually a show about heavy metal, Uh, so we've we've been told by our NSA handlers. Uh, This is our final regular episode of the year. Boys, we have made it to the end of 2023, which means that there is only one big Terminus event left. And you guys know what it is, it is the Terminus Omega end of year episode where myself and the black metal guy will argue over our personal and perhaps combined top 20 lists of the year. Uh, But in keeping with some changes that we've made on the show, this year we're going to be doing it as a live stream. Yes, you heard it folks, the first ever Terminus Omega live stream will be happening next week December 27th at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Once again, that is December 27th, next Wednesday at uh, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, we will uh, post in the Discord and post on our social media to remind you of that, but uh, definitely, if you guys are interested, feel free to jump in onto the stream for whatever time you can, or see if you can you can rough it with your favorite boys for the whole, uh, you know, 38-hour process that it's probably going to be. <laughs> so, uh, we're looking forward to this one. It should be uh, should be a lot of fun. Uh, have you? Uh, you well, started- I have
1: to. I have to take a shot every time I say riff. Oh God,
0: poor guy. We won't even get to the list. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, actually, uh, before we before we started recording, we were just talking about uh, how nightmarish the process of making our lists is going to be this year. Because I got. Do you think this is the best in terms of like average record quality that we've ever had on the show for a year?
1: For
2: sure yeah yeah this Um, is
1: a really good year it's uh there has been a lot going on in terms of the uh you know yeah in terms of the basic the the genres and sort of trends we've been tracking on the show uh and i think i I think just you know we talked about it before but it seems like there's a bumper crop in part because a bunch of records were delayed
0: yeah uh, it's uh, it's definitely going to be tricky, but uh, yeah, guys, jump into the live stream. Uh, be sure to congratulate us or heckle us for our various choices. You know, there's going to be there's going to be laughs, there's going to be tears, and by the end of it, I think I think we'll all learn something about extreme metal and. Uh, you know, the the uh, appropriate amount of blast beats per record. Uh, if you guys want some extra special reminders of what's coming up, well, the, the best way to do that is to follow us on social media. You can follow me, the Death Metal Guy, on Facebook at Terminus Podcast, or the Black Metal Guy on Instagram at Terminus Extreme Metal, where we will once again have the reminder posts for that live stream as it comes up next week. And for those who are particularly dedicated for only the true and only the strong, you can subscribe to us on Patreon. $3 and up gets you access to our old lineup of bonus episodes, and $5 and up gets you access to the Terminus Black Circle, where uh, we can post memes, talk about our favorite records, give each other life advice, and anticipate the release of Fish Tank Season 2. Pale! Hey, this is Brandon from Cromley, and you're listening to Terminus. <laughs> First up tonight, ladies and gentlemen. A, uh, another triumphant return in a year that has been pretty great for triumphant returns in general. Uh, eight years past the last full length, we have the return of Demoncy with Black Star Gnosis out now on Dark Descent Records. Uh, this came out earlier this month. This is Demoncy's follow-up after 2015's Empire of the Fallen Angel, Eternal Black Dominion, uh, which was a very cool record, uh, because pretty much everything that Demoncy does is really, really cool. Uh, This is going to be a slightly challenging review for me because I am hideously biased toward all things Demoncy and, in general, uh, all things in this old-school U.S. Black Death circle. Um, we covered the new Pro Fanatica earlier this year that we were both very fond of. Uh is a band near and dear to my heart who uh, is perhaps on average the best of the bands in this circle, but Demon has the strength of the legendary Joint in Darkness behind them, which I think is just flat out the best record that has ever been released in this little sub-style of extreme metal. Uh, it is... is. Uh, I'm At some point in the near future, uh, I'll try to talk about it on a, an episode for patrons or something, but it is possibly the most evil thing that's ever been released. Uh, joined in Darkness sounds like something beyond Satan. It sounds like something older and more terrible than time itself. It's just the coolest fucking thing ever. Um, uh,
1: that sounds pretty good.
0: It's really good. But it's It's also a record that's so singular that listening to any other demoncy is kind of a tricky proposition. You just have to understand that that is a record that you can put out once in a lifetime and you know fundamentally everything else has to be graded differently. The thing is the rest of Demoncy's output is really, really good also, and Black star gnosis isn't different in that sense. Um, for those who aren't familiar, Demoncy trades in a Similar sort of music to Profanatica, Vaughn, Black Funeral, all these stalwarts of early, primitive U.S. Black death. Um, But the devil's in the details, uh, pun not intended. And Demon Sea... Come on. uh, Okay, it was a little intended. Come on, I'm just being a cute guy. Um, Demon Sea has always been a little bit colder and more remote and a little bit more traditionally black metal than, uh, say, Profanatica or a lot of the other bands that we would associate with this style. Um, and I think that they are a, a, a pretty good way to maybe get a more traditional black metal listener into this sub-style and appreciating some of the idiosyncrasies of it. But um, Black Metal Guy, I know that I've talked your ear off about Demancy in the past, but have you ever, like, listened to them?
1: I think I listened to some of um maybe Enthroned is the Night or mm-hmm. something and in thought it was cool. Uh, it did sound so we've talked a lot about how this whole style, um, and you've you've emphasized this, uh, how this whole style of USBM is really uh, in terms of the the riffing and harmonic ideas and the attitude and the tone, uh, much more rooted in death metal than the, uh, Scandinavian and other European black metal stuff. Um, with the exception of maybe, you know, Archgoat and Beherit, who have a lot to do with this American style. Um, mm-hmm. but the, um, uh, and you know, you, we've referenced the, um, uh, the, the J-Dog interview with, uh, Paul Ledney, um, where he he talks about that specifically, that this is supposed to be death metal. Um, And so I can hear, when I heard that earlier demoncy stuff, it definitely, um, you could hear things that sounded like uh, Scandinavian black metal riffs in it, in -hmm. a way that you can't with Pro Fanatica. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, It does seem like, you know, the first, first record is called Within the Sylvan Realms of Frost, right? So maybe there's a bit more influence from that stuff in Demon sea. And there are a few... There are some riffs on this one, too, that sound a little bit more traditionally black metal. Um, it is definitely colder than Profanatica. Fanatica. I, I would say I find it... I, I find this one less engaging than the Profanatica Fanatica record. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, maybe that's because I have... Um, Maybe a higher tolerance than some black metal people for, or like not a higher tolerance. I actively like like really chunky, heavy, brutal stuff, uh, and it's on the more punkish side of death metal. So he- hearing that from the profanatica made a lot of sense to me. Um, this is very, um, very austere, uh, and the. There's a cold. The tone is much thicker than the cold tone you would get from Scandinavia, but it's very cold. Um, it's very sort of slideshow of riffs writing. Um, yeah. Is there a drummer, do you think, or is this drum machine?
0: This is a drum machine. Uh, Demon C's lineup is odd. It's always Ixathra mm-hmm. as, like, the main guy, but some records are solo and some are with a band. And he plays live with a band, but I believe this is a solo record.
1: Yeah, so I think this is, um, I I would say that, like, this isn't, like, converting me to a massive Demon Sea fan. I think I would have had to be into them from when I was younger for that, you know what I mean? Uh, I think I'll have to hear Joined in Darkness, Hmm. Um, but uh, it's cool, and... uh, there were parts of the record where I listened the first time and felt legitimately bored, but then when I went back and listened again, uh, especially in my second sample, Cosmic Curse Expulsion, I was like, oh, okay, well, this has got to be the worst song on the record. And then I went <laughs> back to it and was like, maybe going to pull it for a critical sample or something. And it was like, hey, this is actually good. So there's a lot of, um, there is in these simple, Highly chromatic buzzsawing power chord riffs—they can sound like other bands' kind of um, throwaway gestures, the kind of default riffing you get in war metal. But each one of these riffs is fully, uh, fully intended. It's a direct statement. It's been worked on, and uh, is interacting meaningfully with the riffs around it. Uh, so that's pretty cool. Um, yeah I, I would say this is cool i'm glad I heard it and we should talk about it more
0: yeah um i i definitely i definitely get what you mean uh in terms of this being less engaging than uh crux simplex by Profanautica. It, it it just fundamentally is uh demonency uh, Profanautica is in a sense very live music and Demoncy is very dead music Demoncy. Yeah. uh, Demancy, uh Sounds very deliberately flat and cold and mechanical in a way that Profanatica can sometimes, but Profanatica is more of like a, 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 a sort of broken old piece of industrial machinery, and mm-hmm. Demoncy is sort of clean and calculated and precise and written to a grid, and it's um, it's in space. Yeah, it's very much in space. Uh, Demon Sea's always kind of been in space uh, long before that was, like, an aesthetic idea of, Mm -hmm. like, newer black metal bands or something. But I have a feeling that Ixothra probably had some sort of communication with a dude from Lustmord or something like that, especially Mm. given his penchant for dark ambient stuff. Um, But what might seem like sort of old hat now, this association between sort of, like, uh, dark Gnostic mysticism and Satanism and uh, weird outer space and subterranean stuff. Um, Demons here were really sort of one of the first bands to put all that stuff together.
1: Um, sorry, that makes sense. No, no, I was just that makes sense and that would have like really influenced say, bands like Inquisition for whom that is now central to the lyrics.
0: Oh yeah, definitely. Um, and we also have to remember that... Uh, one of the things that makes Demency so distinct in that regard is that Ixothra is, like, really a a, a true believer. Um, this guy is a, a, a very dedicated occultist who has been doing Demency for about 30 years now. Um, this guy's really all in on it. And I think that one of the things that appeals to me so much about Demency is that even in these rifts, which can be sort of arbitrary and gestural, there's a... A weight of force and belief and just the, the knowledge that these things are so deliberately composed even in their reductive stripped down simplicity gives them a sort of outsized power. Mm-hmm. Um, there's uh, most demoncy is oriented around very simple trem riffing but uh, you know, a, a lot of it related to those dark Dorian ideas that you'll hear in uh, that, that you'll hear in Profanatica or later bands like Prosanctus and Fairy and Paimon Gate, but um, with very strange note placement, uh, strange elongated rhythmic phrases for individual notes and a, a strange warping around the root note that'll occur, uh, joined in darkness in particular was dotted with very simple but very off-putting time signature play that is it's the sort of thing that you would accidentally arrive on as sort of an amateur guitarist, but here they were being pursued very deliberately. Um, the overall effect of this record in particular is something very deliberately stripped down and almost an almost rebooting of the band in a sense to arrive back at the band's earliest ideas of these sort of monotonous tremolo riff and drum machine compositions that start in a sort of arbitrary location end in an arbitrary location and present themselves as fragments of this sort of like limitless continuum of darkness which I think is really cool. I like that. Uh, yeah, I mean, it goes with the space thing. I think that Ixathra would probably say that all of these songs are like, you know, you're just getting a, a look at something that stretches infinitely, you know, before and after. You know, the mm-hmm. infinite mm-hmm. riff idea we talk about, but driven toward nefarious purposes. Um mm-hmm. So with that in mind, uh, let's listen to uh, just the first full black metal song on the record, Ipsissimus of Shadows. Uh, Most of the tracks on this record are pretty short, just around three minutes long, uh, and they're pretty simple, just three or four riff compositions. So let's just listen to the whole thing and see what happens. So that that is pretty characteristic of what this whole album sounds like. I mean, that is that's a song that is oriented around really just three riffs, uh, and the first couple are just very straightforward little profanatica style numbers. But it's really all about that third riff that dominates the the middle toward the end of the track. Um, this this elongated sort of darkly neoclassical Dorian figure with an A-B variation, and the B variation is just based off of a a slight weird elongation of one of the notes in the concluding phrase, but there's a tremendous amount of impact in how it swings into the one of the next repetition as a yeah, result yeah. of it. Um, this gonna, it's kind of a left field comparison, but I don't think it really is. So we talk about Pro uh, we talk about all the associated acts around that, we talk about Black Funeral, but something that I compare Demon Seed to a lot actually is Mortician in the way that, uh, in the way that the music is executed. You know, oriented around the drum machine as an organizing principle, um, Almost arbitrarily selected intervals on guitar, um, and we also have to keep in mind that Mortician was, in some sense, like connected with a lot of these bands because uh, John McEntee from Incantation was briefly in, uh, uh, was briefly in Mortician as they started. Paul Ledney knew the guys from Mortician, and uh, as we've talked about on the show, Mortician has something to do with. Um, early primitive grindcore and Celtic Frost, which a lot of the guys in you know Profanatica and Demoncy were also drawing off of. So there's a whole pool of bands here who are playing around with similar ideas in these sort of like dark, occult, uh, extremely raw styles of death and black and grindcore, um, and it's just something that I've been perpetually charmed by. So, listening to Demonte now, listening to him execute music in this manner, in some sense feels extremely current, especially with the revitalization of um, scrappy, blocky, one-man black metal projects that sort of went by the wayside for a good chunk of the 2010s. But it's also just a return back to how this was executed in the early 90s. Uh, and I, I think that that unstuck from time quality is something that really appeals to me. There's there's something timeless about this style of extreme metal, and uh, I think that's why
1: it sticks with me so, so much to this day. Would you say that stylistically it's doing the same thing as he's doing with the riffs, right? The riffs are supposed to be, right, or the song as a whole, right, is a uh, brief sort of um, snapshot or cross-section of a, of an infinite process a thing that you know a, a thing that existed before and after the song will keep existing and do you think like there's a similar thing where the the style as a whole is supposed to be this kind of a um, uh, uh, frozen cross-section of eternity um, I, I don't know
0: if it's deliberate. Not deliberate, um, maybe. No,
1: yeah, not supposed to. But does that make sense to you? Like, they've achieved the same thing on a stylistic level. It has that kind of disciplined stasis about it.
0: I think so, because I, I think that Pro Phenotica songs and Mortician songs and Vaughn songs all operate uh, under the same principles. You know, a, a very restricted palette. All the music kind of sounds a, a deliberate, rigorous homogeneity. Um, and in the same sense, it's almost the same principle that Ill Jarn works under, you know, or yeah. uh, early Burzum works under. Uh, this is these are these are guiding principles of early extreme metal that never go out of fashion. I think if if you're into this music enough.
1: Yeah, and I think in the 90s, um, this would have been understood as having a lot to do with something like Burzum or Iljarn, or even, I mean, despite the different social milieus, like, like, the first two Dark Throne records, mm-hmm. for sure, or, or Transylvanian Hunger in terms of how rigid and, uh, sort of, um, uh, looping it is, uh, you know, I'm looking at his first record, and he's got tracks like The Final Battle for Our Once Glorious Midgard.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: it's it's not as, um, he doesn't have the sort of, uh, he, he doesn't have the chip on his shoulder about Norwegian stuff that uh, Ledney does. Um,
0: no, I think I think in, Demoncy and Black Funeral were the most amenable to European styles of yeah. that scene.
1: And, and I think a lot of fans would have heard the obvious similarities, right, in terms of the, you know, we often now associate Burzum with where Burzum was going, which mm-hmm. is basically Bellus as Varg has made clear. Uh, and so with stuff on, the more lush stuff on Philosophem or the most pagan-sounding stuff on the early records, but there's a, just a lot of, like, sawing, dissonant, uh, um, frantically repeating riffs even on um fislicitaros um you know it doesn't really directly sound like hellhammer but it's uh you you can you can hear the connection um i, I have something pedantic to say which is that the riff you're talking about as dorian
2: mm-hmm.
1: um i think it's not or at least it's not what i meant by that term and so here there's a second correction i also have to make a correction of myself Did you ever see that guy who commented on our Argoslent review? And he said, uh, Argoslent does not use Dorian so much as um, Aeolian mode. Oh, okay. And I looked it up, and I was like, God damn it. I've been (laughs) confidently calling it the wrong fucking mode the entire time. Um, So Uh, every time we've talked about,
0: what? Yeah, isn't isn't Aeolian uh, just like one or two notes off of Dorian, if I recall correctly?
1: Aren't they all one or two notes off from each other?
0: I just, re- I, I feel like I remember those two being pretty, like, I mean, I, I assume pretty close this guy re- is correct. No, but, yeah. no,
1: no, what it, what it, you're not wrong, dude. What it is, is apparently it was associated at one point in history, it was called the hypo Dorian mode for below Dorian because it's supposed to be a, uh, um, it's somehow harmonically closely related to the Dorian. Um, okay. Man, but I'm going
0: to learn like actual music theory instead of faking it's, it's, my way through it.
1: <laughs> it's the one basically it's the one because it's the Aeolian or the natural minor. It has the it ends on two whole steps. So it's got that epic space from the minor 6 to the from the flat 6 to the 7 and then from the flat 7 to the root. Right. Okay. You know, so you can go like, which is all we ever like to do in this music. So all that
0: sort of exaggeratedly dark Dorian stuff is probably Aeolian.
1: Yeah. That's what we, I think most of the time when we say Dorian, we actually mean Aeolian or Hypodorian. Dorian. Um, and possibly I was confused by, um, uh, Plato calling the Dorian the most noble of the modes, <laughs> and it seems obvious, or something like that, right? And it seems obvious that that's what the Hypo-Dorian is in, in metal. So, But who knows? These terms have changed a lot historically, so maybe he meant the Hypo-Dorian. I don't know. Okay. Um, anyway, so but point being, that thing in the middle seems to be more like weird, eerie eastern scale. Uh, <laughs> yeah,
0: Demon Sea will play around with some sort of like Dark Phrygian stuff Sort of like Pimon yeah. Gate does yeah. Um, There's. He, yeah. He's always kind of like the thing is like the, demon sea rifts tend to be so simple. It's mm-hmm. it's almost like it's difficult to almost apply yeah. specific no, modes to them, and they just sort of float in and out of each other. Maybe
1: Eastern isn't even right. I think it's just more traditionally in that kind of like, you know. Well, the 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 evil minor scales with the a lot of chromatics thrown in that we typically use in black metal and and de- early black metal. Very uh, metal, right?
0: Very uh, silent horror film soundtrack stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, da, da, da. um, you know, yeah. So it's got that kind of um, uh, highly dissonant minor vibe in it. I think the one my my second sample, Cosmic Curse Expulsion, has a snake charmer riff on it. Mm. Um, but the um, or maybe actually the first one, but um. Anyway, on that note. The curses. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Should we move to the next samples? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that riff is also, that riff is awesome. And I heard the same thing you did, that the way he, the second repetition, he holds the note at the beginning of the turnaround. He The first repetition, he delivers the turnaround very straight, mm-hmm. very like on, on beat. And then the second one, he holds that, the first note of the turnaround, so it syncopates and draws out. And, and I like what you said. It really whips into the beginning of the riff again. Mm-hmm. It has that. Yeah. Um yeah, very cool riff. Um Cosmic Curse Invocation. Um yes, I have sampled both the Cosmic Curse tracks. Uh this track has four riffs in it. Ooh, um getting ambitious. Yeah, yeah. Um and there are a couple things i want to point out about the structure the structures are so simple that i felt like okay i have to think about them right and this is one that'll make you think because see if you can tell where the second riff starts So that last riff that comes in. Right, that feel has a more of that epic Aeolian feel we were talking about. And that you also hear in early Pro stuff or on the last Pro Fanatica record. Yeah, that that feels um um but then a lot of that riffing is much more dissonant, much more narrow interval. Um the uh the thing that's interesting is that riff 1 and riff 2 are almost exactly the same. Uh mm. the, the riff one is like or they're not, but it really sounds the same because they have similar gestures in them. The first one is like da da da, da 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 I basically there's like minute differences in um like the first one does a half step up and then a chromatic slide down and then a half step up and then a chromatic slide down. Uh, and keeps going, and then riff two goes, like, you know, uh, drops da 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 da. Um.
0: Yeah, they're just like primitive, like death grind riffs, basically.
1: Yeah, yeah, and there's they're written. They both have the same kind of da 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 chromatic drop mm-hmm. in them, and so it, you you hear them as the same riff, basically. But the second one is like has twice as much detail in it and it, it turns around with a da da da. It has this higher turnaround. Um, and uh, it, there's kind of a weird hypnotic thing where the, uh, the riff resets and you don't even notice it, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, you feel like you've been listening to the same thing the whole time. Um, well, there's,
0: a, there's this specific technique. That is sort of unique to Ixthra and the way that he'll write certain riffs, where he'll have a root note. Where y- y- you know how most um, m- most like simple metal riffs are designed to create a gesture that naturally flows back into the root note for like a mm-hmm. really explosive like hit on the one of the mm-hmm. next repetition. Ixithra will write riffs where. He gets back to the root note prematurely, um, and he'll just sort of double it up, so you never get that immediate impact into it. And you you think that you're like hearing a weird time signature or something at first, but you know it'll be like on the frets, it'll be like one three zero one one three zero one. So he'll he'll hit the root note on the four. Um, which sort of dislocates everything in a weird way. So I think that's some of what you're hearing here.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's um, that's something I wanted to get. That's a very good way of putting it. So I- Ixthera, like Ledney, has he does the thing. It's you pointed this out in Ledney, right? Ledney will do his chugs not at the beginning of the riff, or uh, he won't he won't drop to this his. Ledney doesn't necessarily chug on the root tone.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, the chug isn't necessarily the root and he throws the chug in in the middle of the riff, right? So you might yeah. get like, mm-hmm. right, um, and not in sort of predictable ways that a thrash riff might drop to the root. Um, and um, this has that same kind of... Uh, th- th- Exit 3 uses a similar technique where you're not immediately moving to the root or you're not moving to the root in predictable ways, but it, instead of Pro Fanatica like defers it in a way that's really heavy, but demoncy obscures it.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Like th- there's, the root is this, uh, that's what I was trying to get at when I was listening to those two riffs. I couldn't even tell you what the fucking root was in those. Um in in those two kind of cryptic almost identical riffs they both kind of hide what the root is um, and then there's a third riff that just sort of does a thrashy key change up a fifth stops restarts does the first two riffs and then finally we get to the da 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 da, 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 da that sort of epic aeolian riff and it's only there that you really hear a center to the tonality right that that a, there's an identifiable root and I'm not even sure it was the root tone in the preceding riffs. I think maybe he actually raises the root one or two steps.
0: Yeah, the root, um, The root note tends to, uh, it gets sort of smeared across the riffs in a lot of demon C stuff. Uh, it, it, it's not um, a lot of um, a lot of metal riffs are oriented around using the the root note as a sort of anchor point or a foundation that the rest of the riff builds off of. But Demon C doesn't really treat the root note with that much significance. It, it, it's a much more horizontal way of developing riffs that that makes it, like, while it, while it sounds at, at first blush so similar to other bands in the style, it actually ends up being, like, really weird. You know, it, like, almost this, um, it's got, I mean, we've gone to this well before, but it's almost got this, like, serialist quality to it. You know, mm-hmm. the the deprioritization of, like, the natural heavy tones So it, everything ends up be, being a little grayer and messier and weirder when Demon yeah. C does it, even for, yeah. like, kind of stock gestures
1: Yeah, it's like serialism, but good
0: <laughs> That's like yeah. when we talk about war metal, it's like, a oh, war metal, but with riffs, oh, they're, they're, those are just the war metal bands you like, yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's Serialism, but good, it's just when we like it <laughs> Um Okay, so uh, another one. Uh, Probably my favorite track on the album, Performing the Ceremonies of Tragedy. Um, This one is basically just a death metal song. And uh, Demoncy is awesome when they're fast, but they're at their best when they're very slow. Um, Big chunks of Joined in Darkness are like borderline funeral doom tempo. And... I think that Ixothra has a special ear for those kinds of tempos. So let's listen to what happens when Demoncy basically just starts a song with a section from autopsy. It's been a long time since I've listened, but I think that that opening riff might be directly referential to Autopsy, but, like, really early Autopsy, like something off Severed Survival or Retribution for the Dead. Uh, like, I, I think it might be in the grip of Winter, but I'm not sure. Um, uh, this is something that he's traded in for a long time, these sort of doom-death passages that still have that specific, like, Americanized, darkly bluesy quality with those little descending dyad figures. You know that da 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 thing. Um, that's something that you would hear uh, dotted across, um, dotted across slower songs on *Joined in Darkness*, and it has never really gone away. Um, and that's something that I really appreciate. I mean, if you think looking back into the history of this music, uh, it kind of makes sense that. Uh, you know, early death metal bands uh, that would start flirting with sort of black metal ideas would also gravitate to sort of the creepiest parts of early doom death. Um, and I think that that's a relationship that's kind of forgotten in black metal nowadays Um you know, the Doom Death that you will hear associated with Black Metal is going to tend more toward the peaceful side in a lot of cases. But I think that Ixothra makes a really good argument for how maybe it would be cool if that was a continuing part of the legacy today.
1: Yeah, and really, I mean, the peaceful thing isn't something a lot of people mention. I feel like that's mostly us connecting that to early Black Metal. So that's not well known and the autopsy the connection to stuff like the dirtier death doom like autopsy or asphyx i suppose is mentioned even less but that's got to be it makes sense right because autopsy is kind of i mean all those bands were really into those sort of Celtic, celtic frost uh repulsion uh master death strike slaughter mm-hmm. type music that bands like dark throne reference is really important and yeah. that i think a lot of the early black metal bands could sort of take for granted as influences
0: well yeah and it's it's all part of sort of a greater legacy of like forgotten like occult death metal yeah um, and, and you can still hear that in sort of currently active bands. I was going to say newer bands, but I guess Coffins isn't a new band at this point. I guess yeah, Coffins true. is borderline a classic band <laughs> at
2: yeah. this Oof, point. That
0: really dates us. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, the, I mean, the first Coffins record is like 99, 2000, something like that yeah, shit. Yeah. Um, but that's a good example of a band that is like Basically, just a Celtic Frost and Hellhammer worship band, but it's kind of a doom death band. But Coffins also kind of like feels like a black metal band a lot of the time too, because it's so retarded. <laughs>
2: so.
1: The um, uh, yeah, no, I I know what you mean because it's very sort of obscure and minimalist, mm-hmm. uh, and um, that's that whole sort of confusion that. Ledney brings up in that interview that sort of confusion about what the place of punk is in these various uh, various offshoots of death metal, right? Yeah, because, yeah. Because you can hear coffins as being punky in a death metal crusty way, but also punky in the way that black metal is. Yeah. Um. The uh. Yeah, that that makes makes sense to me. Um. The uh. What was I gonna say? Oh, remember that band, We re- I liked this record more than you did, but you remember that Azath album? Uh, uh Yeah, yeah. It was kind of like very, de- it felt kind of war metal to me, but was very death metal in the overall delivery, more than black metal. Just like sort of austere, dry, blasting death metal that was mm-hmm. very fast. And you were like, okay, you know, this is all right, but really it just sounds like autopsy. And so... <laughs> That makes sense, because the the, the Azath record sort of felt like a black metal album, and I could hear Autopsy then doing that, too.
0: Yeah, you would probably dig a lot of early Autopsy. I think that's something you might actually enjoy a lot. That's something I need
1: to go back to, yeah. Well, so, speaking of other things that I dig, also those riffs were awesome in performance (laughs) ceremonies of tragedy, especially, I really liked the last one. Uh, I was going to say one thing it might be that, like, I think the best demoncy riffs are written at a slow tempo whether or not there's blasting. Mm-hmm. Um, there are the, the sort of things like the last riff in your sample or the last riff in my last sample um, that might unfold over a wall of blasts at a high tempo are or maybe like double bass, they're usually written very deliberately at a slower pace which gives him more room to breathe and unfurl these long melodies uh whereas the faster um often the blasting that has more convulsive riffing is maybe less interesting mm-hmm. uh, so it makes sense that like he he naturally moves at lower tempos ergo the doom riffs you find the most engaging the, the ones where he just fully commits to those low tempos you find more engaging Yeah, yeah. um uh Alright, so now we're going to the second Cosmic Curse. We had Cosmic Curse invocation, now, you know, you don't want the Cosmic Curse to hang around for too long, so uh, it's time for Cosmic Curse expulsion.
2: Yeah, get it out of there.
0: Weird thing that happens on that last
1: riff. Oh, that one's awesome. I don't,
0: I can't even tell if it's like, if it's a second guitar line or if it's just the bass dropping down to a really weird lower note there, creating this very strange dissonant harmony or something, but something very stomach churning
1: happens
3: when
2: they they come back to it.
1: It's, he's sustaining, um, The it's somehow, I think it's a third riff, but it's somehow related, it's very closely related to the first riff, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, and and the first riff when I first heard that, I was just like, yeah, that's a a nyan nyan, a boo boo riff, right?
0: Well, well, the first two are are phrases that have been taken from the first song and been readjusted Mm. the first cosmic curse,
2: yeah.
1: Uh, you know? Da, 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 da.
0: Like that that second one with the really friggin' flair that da, 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 That one's you know, like a rearrangement of one of the yeah. priority riffs in Invocation.
1: Interesting. Alright, I, I did not catch that. But um yeah, the second one sounds really Eastern. That's the most sort of uh um curvy sword riff on <clears> this one. But the um but the first one, uh I initially did not like it because it just sounded like one of those kind of boring sliding around the root note riffs. But it's got that really heavy drop to the root at the end. Is That, that technique of a sort of obscured or deferred relationship to the root. And that's pretty heavy. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, that's it's pretty gut-busting. Um, and then, yeah, it comes back to, to it sort of on that third riff it's like he strips away most of the detail and he's holding notes way longer than you expect. He's also like feathering or doing something to the 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 notes because they're single string but he's doing something to make them ring more. Maybe he's letting the strings harmonize more. He's like holding one as he plays the other a little bit more than you would.
0: There's There's something very strange going on.
1: Discussing the many virtues of Impaled Nazarene. To review something else brash and grindy and in your face and defiantly northern, this is The Scythe is Remorseless by Yerson, out now on Trepanation Recordings. That's Y E R S I N as in Yersinia Pestis, The Black Death. So, um, we we've reviewed this band before uh this record is officially coming out in early 2024 which makes it um you know over three years since the last one this was a very early terminus review right around this time of year in 2020. um and uh the last one was called guilt Uh, and yours are interesting because they are coming out of the hardcore scene but um engaging with a lot of uh black and death metal aesthetics now that in itself is uh hardly remarkable right and if anything it's usually a warning sign that what you're going to be getting is a kind of uh marketing gimmick or an attempt to uh um an, an attempt to glean some secondhand edge right from the extreme metal scene but the um Uh, What's interesting about Yersin Is that there's a more substantial influence there Both in terms of the the Musical techniques and the spirit of the music Uh, So this is Yes, another band from the hardcore scene That uses warhead art But the warhead art is actually pretty cool On this one And uh, I think the music does a good job of earning it Uh, It is um, This band Sort of seems to position themselves as a crust band in some ways uh, which and we've talked about how that term doesn't really mean anything anymore um, this doesn't really sound like crust although you could say maybe it is a modern high tech analog of the 80s stenchcore because it does have very heavy chugging mid tempo parts and it does have a kind of um grim medievalism to it, but the similarity stops there. Um it's kind of a throw everything at the kitchen sink amalgamation of I think especially modern beat down, the most uh beefy sort of Wolf Brigade tragedy, kind of um most beefy god most beefy crust, arena crust we call it. Um, which was really like the crust core uh, I digress um and uh grind of some kind but all of it is colored by authentic black metal influence which i think is mostly coming in through their guitarist Rob um and it's uh and and the the feeling you we got on on the best tracks on guilt there was a kind of um manic grinding energy and a very heavy tone that you could really only get in this kind of music but it felt sort of uh mountainous and uh mountainous and bleak in a way that reminded me a lot of immortal uh especially sons of northern darkness but it didn't really sound like immortal because of all the hardcore in it and so there was this cool potential band that was in that record Uh, that was there alongside tracks that were just much more straight up sort of beat-down songs, things that just kinda sounded like knocked loose in a way that was really at odds with the more uh, the more metallic tracks, but at its best Yersen sort of pointed towards this translation of mountainous Norwegian black metal to desolate Yorkshire cliffs and moors Um, and I think this record is a, I, I don't know if it's all the way there yet, we'll talk about that, but this is a big step in that direction. The metal has been much more blended with the uh, the hardcore elements, and there's more of a continued atmosphere throughout the record. Uh, um, the last one had some kind of, um, you know, the song title, you know, the kind of jokey throwaway song titles you would get in Grind or Screamo bands sometimes. There is unfortunately one of them here—the uh, death metal guy. <laughs> you want to point it out?
0: Uh, lust for Crust is pretty unforgivable.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's 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 one for the scene. Um, it is un- <laughs> un- the riffs are really good, so it's unfortunate that it has the kind of like throwaway crowd pleaser lyrics. However, the um, the rest of the record has a much more serious bent to it, um, and and that's reflected in the music as well. So uh, I I really enjoyed this Um, It's got the It's got the kind of um, Really satisfying tone That is fun about those modern Crust records or beatdown stuff While also having enough uh, Texture and dynamism In the guitar work for me to find engaging Um, But you know There's definitely still some uh, Some things they could work out Uh, Death Metal Guy, what do you think of it?
0: Uh, So, I I think this one, like you said, is a lot more put together than Guilt. Um, You know, Guilt definitely sounded like a band that was still trying to find its footing in terms of sound. Uh, Now, uh, this one sounds a lot more established, and and your Cinezza band has a much more distinct identity. Um, It's still not something that I'm super into, but I would I'm I'm willing to see that as just sort of a personal taste thing these guys are after things that I'm not particularly interested in but you know that's that's not an issue with them that's just a a personal matter Um, what I think yours is really after uh, the dominant influence on this one uh, sounds like nails to me Uh, if anyone remembers nails you know, the the biggest band in the world for, like, six months. Um,
1: that's, yeah, that's true.
0: But I actually, like, A-B tested it. I went back and uh, listened to a little bit of uh, You Will Never Be One of Us today. Mm-hmm. Um, and Nails, unsurprisingly, is also a band that I'm not really fond of. But they had their place in the sun for a while. And it is kind of interesting that even after their sort of wild success... There weren't many bands that followed in those footsteps trying to pick up and carry forth that sort of like, um, grinding HM2 hardcore with a a sort of anthemic quality to it that they stake their claim on. And that seems to be what Your is after, augmented by more substantial death and black metal influences. Um... I think there's some interesting things about this record. Uh, I think that these guys are pretty good at picking out the details of sort of the predecessor styles that a lot of people would ignore. Um, Old school sweet death is a pretty big feature of this record, but the way that it's executed isn't with the parts or the kinds of riffs you would most immediately associate with that style. Yeah, Yeah, it's definitely... um, sort of the the weirdest, most hardcore parts of Grave or some of the stuff that Dismember or Entombed were doing after their initial biggest records, more of their mm. mid to late 90s stuff um, especially like Entombed getting to their more death and roll territory I, I mm-hmm. think is a substantial influence here and I think that's pretty cool because that's just not a sound that you hear basically at all anymore Um Th- those mid-era Entombed records are surprisingly good, and a-, a lot of people I've noticed, like even people in our Discord who are you know really deep into it, actually have a lot of positive things to say about those records, and so do I. Um, so overall, while it's not for me, I-, I think these guys are executing what they're going for very well, and there's some aspects to this music that elevate it beyond its initial conceit, and it's probably worth checking out for people that are a little bit more interested in this modern sort of crust or crust adjacent style that, yeah. than i happen
1: to be so what you said about swedish death being implemented in an unusual way i think that's something i was going to say too but from a a, a different angle like the other thing i hear is a lot of the more melodic parts of dismember mm-hmm. um or uh really just a lot of slaughter of the soul But it doesn't sound like slaughter of the soul worship metalcore at all Mm -hmm. um i think it has to do like it's what you said this is what you said about nails and about this record is perceptive right it's not it's blasting hm2 hardcore most Mm -hmm. of the hm2 hardcore kind of lumbers along or moves at deliberately down tempo um this has a lot of um this has a lot of blasts that are slowed to be heavy very fast d beats and then um sort of doomy slow parts but none of it rhythmically moves in the way we're used to either from uh mellow death metalcore or from like heavy hm2 hardcore um so it's got this uh it's bringing all those swedish death metal influences uh to a completely different format that Yeah, maybe it has more and more, in some ways, more to do with like Nihilist or Grave, which really do sound kind of grindy. Um, and also linking them up more with black metal. Like a lot of the really epic riffs on this record sound like Immortal, but they also kind of sound like At the Gates. Mm.
0: Yeah, and, so. and it's interesting, um, especially in the distance that mm-hmm. we've grown away from some of those pivotal records i was actually i, I think i was listening to uh, slaughter of the soul the other day mm-hmm. uh just because it had been a lot of years since i'd last heard it and we've talked about how that's actually a cool record um which it is i mean we've come for you know when we were coming up it was it was so decried you know by people as you know being the uh the source of Uh, American Melodeath Metalcore that got so popular in the 2000s, and it is, but Slaughter of the Soul is actually a a far more challenging and complex record than you would think, given its influence on much simpler, more straightforward bands. Um, I think that it's just been, uh, it's been so many years since most of us have heard it. We think of it as many more steps away from original at the gates than it actually is is it yeah. more accessible than you know terminal spirit disease yeah of course but it's not fucking kill switch engage it's not black no. dolly I Burger, mean you know? even the whole <laughs>
1: I mean the the beat on the title track almost nobody has ever imitated. They're doing a six eight beat, but they do it with the regularity of a thrash beat. Rather than like the standard six eight gallop thing, that's really unique. I mean, there's just people take for granted the quality of the riffing, right? The ornate neoclassical riffing. If you want to get a different take on that record people should listen to tracks like cold Mm -hmm. um which and you can hear there oh this is like the same kind of shit dawn was doing it's just in a much more punchy hardcore influenced format yeah um yeah it's a cool record and so
0: (laughs) at the gates great crime was getting adequate production basically
1: (laughs) (laughs) right right and um So Yersin has um, some of that reminding us that At The Gates was actually really cool and and very closely related to a lot of things that are cool about black metal. So uh, without further ado, we're talking epic riffs. Um, Let's go for the first track, Triumphant. Um, And here you can hear that mountainous atmosphere. Think of the things that they're doing that create a sense of huge vertical spaces. That part gives me chills, man. The uh, I, I, I love the the sort of um, the brute grunting of it feels like the sky is falling in. Just simple direct lyric over just the the massive doom riff with the keys flying away in the background. I love that. Um, I will I
0: will the, say this uh, is it's substantially more melodically interesting listening on headphones now. Uh, mm. I, had, I had just listened to this on speakers prior and I I think that you, this is one of the, the problems of like HM2 guitar tones for me which is that um, if you're not listening uh, on relatively high end equipment you lose so much tone color from mm. that HM2 tone just because it's so oversaturated so like, most of the D-beat riffs on this record, if you're just listening on relatively low-quality speakers, just sort of blur together.
1: Oh, they're just going to sound like Joe Goga, Joe Goga, Yeah,
0: because because a lot of what he's doing, now that I can hear it a little bit better, oh, so he's using, like, black metal chord phrasing, yeah. like, like trog type dyadic yeah. chord phrasing, and that's where the melody is coming from. That gets lost on, like, car speakers. Uh, with HM2 tones. That that's why I, have, I I I'm not an HM2 hater, but I I am uh, I I I am critical of the uh common HM2 narrative. Let's say <laughs> um just because it's like yeah, it can create a really cool tone, but at the possible cost of a ton of tone color depending on how you're listening to it and how the EQing is. So maybe that's just something to keep in mind for people is, like, maybe try this out on the best stuff that you have available rather than your default.
1: Well, that's interesting because usually I'm the guy who listened on speakers and you're the guy who listened on more high-end headphones. And I've, this time, I've only listened to this record on headphones and I've just been like, damn, this sounds great because you can hear all those layers, you know? Mm-hmm. You can hear, You can hear. I mean, I think the... um uh, yeah, the key thing is that, um, but, but yeah, I, I hear what you mean as a, as a thing for the band to consider, right? How are you producing this? I think if it can, you know, if you can't hear it on laptop speakers, that's one thing. But like if you lose the tone on car speakers, which are usually pretty or, or large scale, were you listening in your living room or like in a car. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was
0: I was listening to it uh, in my car and uh, just sort of like computer
1: yeah. speakers. Okay, yeah. Computer speakers aren't maybe going to do it, but like you, you should be able to pick up the details on a car speaker, right? Because those are like big. Those are usually pretty high
2: quality.
0: Yeah, but the problem is they, they tend to sort of like boost bass by default because they have dedicated mm-hmm. subs, so you can get yeah. some issues there. But okay, This yeah. is pure autism shit.
2: Right.
1: Well, the bass is already pretty boosted on this. So the... So cool things that happen there, right? You get the, um, yeah, oh, so over the D-Beat, you could hear the textured black metal chord. As you said, it sounds really finish. The only thing in Crust that really sounds like that is Martyr Duds, more recent stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, There's also a band called Facade from the US, F-A-S-A-D, who do that pretty well, but in a more Screamo way. But um, yeah, you get this—you get that thick, heavy power chord tone, but with all the embellishment of the sliding harmonics from black metal. Um, and a thing that Yurison did before that I like a lot, which is these staggered blasts with slashing chords across them. Mm-hmm. Sounds really cool. Uh, and then there's a neat misdirection. They play that dum dum da da dum da dum 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 da da dum that that sort of doomy slow riff they play it but it's a it transitions into a just a a beatdown riff that's rhythmically and melodically very different um but the m- melodic sort of momentum from that phrase gets transferred to the keyboards and the keys just go crazy
2: mm-hmm. they're
1: using this very sophisticated modern patch that sort of sounds like keys and then sort of morphs into a strange choir or something, uh, but it's, um, it's this sort of, it's this, me- this wandering uh, aeolian melody that is uh, completely detached from what the guitars are doing, and it reminds me a lot of those flyaway riffs that you brought my attention to in uh, Following the Voice of Blood. Things mm-hmm. like that. It has a really sort of deranged Polish black metal vibe. Um I I know you know, I, I know this I know Rob listens to in, enjoys the Temple of Full Moon stuff and uh and it also reminds me of like the most nuts BBH stuff, like Rundegor or something. Yeah. So it, it, it's wild hearing something like that in a uh it's wild hearing something like that over a beatdown. and
2: well that's just that's just
1: designed for you (laughs) i was gonna say that fulfills a certain fantasy i didn't know i had um but uh (laughs) that um very much designed for me the beatdown itself is really well written too in that it kind of um uh he's piles on extra notes in places you wouldn't expect uh, to make it much heavier. Um, and then yeah, it just rolls out into and then the Doom Riff comes back. By Doom I really just mean slow riff. It's just a slow black metal riff. It R- really was is it's like it's a mountains of might or like Blashirk Mighty Raven Dark riff. Um mm-hmm. and that comes back, and then they turn that too into a beat down. Dung du du dung du du Uh with the with the grunts over it. So super, super cool to me. Um And in that big, slow riff, you can hear uh, another secret ingredient of the guitar style here, which is, uh, you know, inverted power chords in the way that Immortal uses them. So remember when we reviewed Sons of Northern Darkness and they do, like, ugh, we're the tyrants. Yeah. Right? They're just sick, ringing, inverted power chords. (laughs) Rob does a lot of really cool stuff here with, um, with the the sort of um the noise surrounding the note in, in the guitar playing yeah
0: mm-hmm. I feel you. um all right let me get to one uh let me get to the title track uh this is uh when I heard this one I was really intrigued because uh like I said up front this is reminding me of parts of 90s sweet f that are completely forgotten. um There was a big propensity, especially after the first couple records by all of the seminal um, Swedish death metal bands, to move in a direction that was, if not imitating, at least informed by the proliferation of groove metal stuff over in the U.S., Um, but it's articulated in a very different way. So let's listen to The Scythe is Remorseless, and pay attention to the main sort of chuggy verse riff here. And... You can definitely imagine how this is like grave responding to the existence of Machine Head uh, back in the mid 90s. So do you see what I mean by that main riff that da 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 dun 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 Yeah yeah. Yeah. That's a that's a kind of riff that's like actually very typical for like mid to late 90s Sweet Death, but it's totally forgotten now because it's like not a cool kind of riff anymore. Um but you can see the relationship there where it's it's like the Stockholm Death Metal bands who were uh You know, we all know about the the sort of like momentary death of death metal in the late 90s into the early 2000s, sort of coming back to life as we started to get into metal in the mid-2000s. But a lot of the European death metal bands really kept going and managed to survive that transitional period a little bit better than a lot of the American bands did. So... Mm -hmm. Here, you can hear the, the the sort of principle of a band like Entombed or Grave hearing what Sepultura started to turn into, you know, in like Chaos AD and later, and... Uh, adapt to those changing circumstances, like still trying to stay solidly within the style that they play, but uh, adapting to uh, changing market conditions. Um, So it's interesting to hear Yursin drawing off those kinds of riffs. Now it's entirely possible that those kinds of chuggy riffs exist in places in hardcore that I'm just not that familiar with, Um, but this strikes me as more directly referential to just sort of a forgotten period of extreme metal.
1: I think that period has been rehabilitated in modern beatdown, specifically. So it's a case of interest in a section of, because everyone's like, oh no, we like these like ignorant groove riffs. Um, You know, Sepultura has been rehabilitated, the later Sepultura, right, is important for all this modern beatdown. And uh, I'm sure people will just bite the bullet on Machine Head at this point. Um. It's uh.
0: Well, I don't. I don't know if I could go that far black, but okay. Look, we gotta. Look, we gotta I have will, limits.
1: Will. <laughs> oh, I'm. I'm not going there. Um, um. But um. You know. But I'm not wearing like fifty dollar sweatpants. Well, that does um, make
0: sense though, because that riff is positioned against a sort of like down tempo interpretation of the same riff. I don't know if you know this. Is is this an eight string guitar that Rob is playing?
1: Um. I have no idea
0: because it, it it sounds kind of, either he's playing on an eight string or something odd is happening uh between the uh the bass and the guitar in some of those sections because it really sounds like he's either dropping down to an f sharp there on an eight string or maybe he's got like an octave pedal or something that he's hitting to drop down I, I would believe those. it's an eight I would believe
1: it's an eight string yeah,
0: yeah. it's a little bit different difficult to tell through the hm two but um if it is an eight string that's interesting because it means that he's not orienting these riffs around the lowest string he's just using it as a place to dive down for access while primarily playing it as a seven string guitar which i think is uh i think is a really useful technique um i've played i played eight string for a few years i'd like to get back into it and uh As more and more people get into those sort of exaggerated extended ranges with 8-strings, I think more people are starting to realize that the best way to use those instruments is not to be riding on the low F sharp the whole time, but to use it as a further range that they can dip into periodically Mm. in moments of drama rather than using it as like a, a primary riffing space because it just you run out of frequency range to really make articulate stuff happen
1: interesting yeah it's basically then like you're playing the same guitar but it starts way lower right it's um yeah it's like you're playing a six string it just starts on eight
0: well yeah you just you have the option to go lower when a riff calls for it Mm -hmm. rather than you know because so much when you're playing six string metal guitar so much of your riffing especially in something like death metal is going to function off of that lowest root note that you have available and you kind of can't do that beyond a seven string because once you start getting i mean standard tuning for an eight string is an f sharp which is going to put you really near um or basically at the top end of standard tuning bass frequency you run out of territory and it becomes very difficult to make tones that low make melodic sense unless you're doing a ton of production work so using it as more of like an accent i think is probably the way to go for most musicians
1: Word. Well, um, now that we've had some focus on the more metallic aspects of the record, here's one that is basically uh, you know, you could call it a D beatdown. But there's cool stuff happening that retains continuity with the more metallic tracks um, so that it's not just out of place. Um, And this this one starts with a pretty cool wind-up section we're going to start the sample just towards the end of that so you get a bit of it. Um, This is red mist. verse riff to this is uh just a really solid driving d beat passage where they sort of take advantage of their these are all really good musicians i think like every player it's a three piece every player is quite good um and they take advantage of that to sort of uh there's there's maybe a little more shape to the uh to the riffing than you would often get with a d beat riff at that tempo um it has more of the has more of a like elaborate swedish death metal shape but it's a cool it's a cool d beat and you also have the contrast between the slashed chords which are uh, aren't being sustained as much and the driving drums um but so it sort of seems like it's anchored around that but really the focus is everything else especially that wind up riff at the beginning now that i'm listening again it seems even more central we were talking Pain to you just as we started the sample like that really just is like a Sepulterah riff right? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's equally something kind of like, you know, Immure or something like Solar Flare Homicide yeah, um, or,
0: uh, or Knocked Loose I- I- I'm thinking that a mm-hmm. lot of a lot of the big advancements in sort of modern digital hardcore you know, internet era hardcore have to do with sort of slowed-down interpretations of old thrash ideas, sort of the mm-hmm. the, uh, the the Slayer shirt, uh, camo cargo shorts, metalcore, mm-hmm. coming back from the dead in a, a weird form.
1: Yeah, just with, like, way more interesting sort of digital textures. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, yeah, you get... Um, but it sort of lights into this really cool breakdown, uh, and the thing that, that ties the breakdown to... Black metal basically is that uh, Rob is dressing it up with these uh, cascading arpeggio licks, right? And also with pick slides. Every time like the pick slide comes in, doom. It it just sounds like uh, crowd killing. I gotta say, Um, the pick slides are brutal. I mean, is this as you say this this just is right up my alley in certain ways. Like okay, big chuggy guitar that is filled with those kinds of like sort of simple like simple musician-y embellishments I like, right? You know, like the pig slide is central to the riff. Um, and what happens as as the breakdown goes on, it loses the embellishments and sort of decays into the dow, da dow, da dow, da 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 thing. So you kind of, the lyric is, right, it's the red mist is taking over. You kind of hear it as the song goes on, sort of loses definition. Um, but yeah, and you know, lyrically the, uh, The Red Mist trope uh, goes all the way from, um, you know, the Berserkers of Old Norse Yorkshire to the uh, modern Norf FC, so uh, you can hear a continuity there. Um, Also, lyrically, it seems to be about uh, smashing a pita, which in the UK is a pretty bold statement. This is a little one, Gash, and you're listening to Terminus. And we are back from uh, discussing the prospects of Elcrossed, a related project, to bring you Blood Serpent, Bestial Extermination, out now on House of Igra. So this is a project of one half of Elcrossed by the name of Nadgor and his bandmate Frostbite, who is an ex-member of Lo- Loicotomy who we haven't covered on the show, but whose record, another Vietnamese band whose record came out I think this year on House of Vigra. Um, so this is the circle of bands that revolves around the gothic black death band L-Crossed, um, uh, but this is a very different flavor. Um, it's billed as war metal inspired by profane order, angel corpse, blasphemy and black witchery. Uh, that only somewhat gives you an idea of what this sounds like. Um, it's interesting to me to hear someone name check Angel Corpse because that's a band that was sort of on the tip of everyone's tongues like 10 years ago or longer. Um, they were seen as very, sent one of the more, they, they were still, more, they were more active. I don't think Angel Corpse has broken up, have they? Uh, it's, let's see. No, oh, no. It, they have, they have officially split.
0: Yeah, well, now um, now there's Perdition Temple with Jean, um, mm-hmm. which is sort of a spiritual successor.
1: So, right, so Order from Chaos splits off into Ares Kingdom, who pursue a more uh, mid-tempo, resolute kind of black uh, thrashing war metal, and Angel Corps, who pursue a more morbid angel-influenced, angular and frenzied variant of thrashing war metal. Um, and uh, so this is this is influenced by Angel Corpse um, but it doesn't have the same sort of dry cutting tone you get from Morbid Angel it doesn't have the rasps and it doesn't have although it's very thrashy it doesn't have the kind of uh, it's not like the default riff is a uh, pedal point thrash riff Mm -hmm. Um, and there's not, and they're not, and when you hear a thrash riff here, it's played much more in the satanic speed metal tradition where it's not palm muted. Um, the, uh, tonally it's also different because it's, you hear, it's more in the native register of death metal in that it's, it's focused more on the low end. Um, and it has growls for the most part. And yet there's stuff in here from Scandinavian black metal. For instance, the guitar tone, though low, is very fuzzy. Um, and it sort of cuts across the bass, which is more audible here. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is highly melodic, which when we say it basically means consonant. This does not have the chromatic dissonance of uh blasphemy or angel corpse or any of these bands. Um uh However, it does have, you can hear the influence of the more sort of pure, sort of chaotic war metal stuff here in an interesting way. Um, I would say, I would class this less in the bestial war metal and more in the epic war metal thing, which is my new name for what we were calling Arrogant Thrash, Um, but it doesn't really sound like it's influenced by any of our major touchstones for that, except Mm -hmm. maybe Angel Corpse. and the other interesting thing, which we can get into, is that if I had to name the dominant single guitar influence on this record, it would be Mayhem. Uh, there is just amazing Euronymous influenced guitar work all over this, uh, and it um, it colors this. Uh, Nodgor just has a similar ear for harmony and melody, and. Uh, there's even things in the, uh, the 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 timbre of in in the guitar tone, um, so yeah. So those are some overall comparisons. It kind of reminds me, in a roundabout way, of that Lihamon band you put me on two years ago. Do you remember them? Oh. You'd have to refresh my memory. <laughs> it's just really burly, really burly Diocletian-style war metal from Germany. Much more sort of chug and uh, heaviosity-focused than this. Oh, okay. But, yeah. um, but it also had... There's a lot of mayhem in it.
2: Mm-hmm. I think they
1: may have literally been from Leipzig. <laughs>
2: um, uh,
1: but so, this is... Another band I would compare this to for an overall feel would be Gospel of the Horns. That is, it has sort of... Uh, it's, it's thrashing, but it's not particularly fast, and it has more sort of heroic heavy metalisms in it. But it's not Destroyer 666 who are bad.
0: Yeah. I, I, I think that that's an important distinction here. Um, is we, we've we gone back and forth on the what's war metal thing. I think that's kind of like well-trod territory. I'm not going to get into that. But um, I, I, I don't typically think of this as war metal because it's lacking a lot of that uh, sort of like frantic, off-the-cuff, noisy quality. You know, whenever I hear War Metal, I'm always thinking of, you know, Bestial War, Lost, Conqueror, that sort of thing, which I guess at this point might be sort of a fringe edge of it rather than the center of the style. Um, Listening to Blood Serpent, this seems like, uh, certainly influenced by all the bands that they've stated, but really is rooted in a more traditional uh, European style of black death metal. Certainly... Um, very aggressive and um, sort of deliberately ugly, and playing with the sort of aesthetics of war metal, but remarkably composed and deliberate. And I and I think I know why. Because I I think that what happens is so this is a a two man project with programmed drums. That means that there isn't really an opportunity for those just um. Chromatic blender riffs to just evolve naturally in a jam room. You oh, know, yeah. Those totally dissonant, like sliding chromatic things that you'll hear in Conqueror or Blasphemy. You can't really do that hanging out with your
1: buddy trying to write music together. Um, Right, you have to have a drummer who's making a fucking din, and then you play this kind of, like, atonal, arhythmic riff over it.
0: Yeah, Yeah. sort of like—remember when we talked about uh, Devourments Molesting the Decapitated and how some of those grind riffs aren't really riffs? He's just sort of doing Mm -hmm. slides— within a handful of frets, and he's sort of landing on something. That's what a lot of war metal riffs are like, but you can't really do that in a non-live band environment. So what you get instead is something a little bit closer to... um, I would actually compare this to some of the more melodic moments of uh, Amputator. You remember when we reviewed them for a bonus episode one time? Amputator. Wait. Um... Yeah, we, we reviewed no. uh, Death Cult Barbaric Hell. It was a patron request. Um, it was uh, American sort of like war black thrash stuff. Oh,
1: God, Yes. Way back in the day. Yeah, yeah, that was
0: a very early one we did. Yeah, so Blood Serpent reminds me of that a little bit, but maybe even more sort of put together and composed here. Um, And probably this has a lot to do with a lot of the uh, melodic Swedish Black Death stuff that you're really invested in, just taken in a darker and more aggressive direction. Um, I think this record's a lot of fun. Uh, Before we got on, I said that, you know, there's, there's... Blessings and Curses Associated with the Technology of Any Era of Music, and this one is a blessing because, you know, without the internet, you don't get a couple young guys in Vietnam making something like this. It would just be too hard to get all the constituent elements together. But with access to the internet, it's now a possibility to find all this stuff and to immediately just like off the rip, create something as like refined and coherent and uh, imaginative as this is. And I think that's really cool.
1: There's a huge native, of course, there's a huge native war metal scene in Southeast Asia but like it's um it's like impiety and stuff like that right which is much more like you know sadistic goat fucker type stuff um mm-hmm. and the fact that this does not sound like that is a uh I, yeah i i can see what you mean it's a, a testament to the internet um
0: well i would say that i would say that even impiety's later stuff cuz uh we we covered the uh Mm -hmm. what I think is the last Impiety record on probably like the second or third episode we ever did did. of the show. And I think Impiety is one of those bands that suggests Sadistic Goat Fucker a little bit more than it actually executes. Because remember listening to it uh, back in the day and really Impiety in general is like presents itself as, you know, thermonuclear goat fucker stuff, but it's actually, like, pretty refined and composed music, you know? Yeah. It's in, it, it, invested in very articulate it, melodies and right-hand know, work.
1: You know, it's actually closer to Angel, what it's close to is Angel Corpse. Mm-hmm. That is, it's Morbid Angel with some more, uh, some more of the melodic color.
0: Yeah, uh, there's some, a little bit Swedish of death sneaks
1: in. Yeah, so so maybe maybe in some way this is very faithful to that South, uh, Southeast Asian strain. You could also throw in there uh, Surrender of Divinity, who are, technically speaking, just a down-the-line black metal band, but are pretty gorked in a war metal way. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, um, let's get to the title track, Bestial Extermination, uh, and um, we will... Uh, yeah, everything I everything I want to say about it, I'll say after after we played it. Um. this, um, you could hear the Euronymous solo, right? Yeah. Uh, just, no nobody... Very, very live in Leipzig. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we've mentioned this maybe, um, like, we've maybe heard someone pull off something. Oh yeah, who's the person? It's the, um, the band from Canada. Uh, basically, nailing a Euronymous-influenced guitar style is almost impossible. Nobody bothers doing it also. Uh, uh, and, um, yeah, Sorgunazia, right? right, yeah. had this really thorough understanding of the most unhinged side of the Euronymous style, and this is the only other, I mean, uh, Blood Serpent is the only other band I've heard that has a similar uh, similar understanding of what was cool about Euronymous as a lead guitarist and as a guitarist in general. Um, it also has a bespoke uh, riff under the solo always good and yep and the riff has as you say yes it's got the sort of swedish black death in it maybe stuff like necrophobic which is probably flowing over here from elcrost um but it also there's an ear to the note choice there to the more aeolian uh <laughs> and, you know sort of uh noble sounding riffing that um, really, just sounds like Euronymous's ear for those intervals, um, where there's still some connection to death metal, uh, and it's um, it, the thing that they get about the Euron Well, I'll talk about it more on the on on the last one. I think the next one, it's the, the my last sample is more even more prominent. Um, but uh, it's got this awesome solo. The other thing I want to highlight, middle of the song. Has this uh, right? I mean, that's almost <laughs> rain and blood. Um, but uh, it's it's got this. Um, it could just be locked in over a driving thrash beat, but that only happens for twenty seconds. Instead, there it's this dropout part that merges into the beat, and then the beat drops away again and it works as kind of this chrysalis for the song to metamorphose it, there's some sort of like redirection of momentum that happens there that is very cool and I would say mature except older musicians often don't bother to do shit like that
0: well I, think, I think that what's happening is um, there's uh, sort of related to what I was saying that these are two guys trying mm-hmm. to create something that's kind of like chaotic war metal mm-hmm. Um, so special care has been given to do very weird stuff with the drum programming mm-hmm. with with the I believe the intent being to simulate some of the sort of uh off the cuff weirdness of a lot mm-hmm. of war metal drumming, but because it's programmed, it ends up coming off very differently um mm-hmm. just because like the these are not um not sparsely programmed, but not especially humanized programmed drums. So a lot of the strange stop-start stuff that happens doesn't come off with these sort of uh, organic, um, you know, flick of the wrist touch that a human doing it would. So things tend to have a, a more lurching industrial feel, giving these moments that are supposed to sound sort of unhinged and weird... A definitely weird and alienating quality, but not maybe the same one that was intended, which is kind
1: of unique. It also, because they're playing to the drum, you know, playing to these the drum machine, it means that there's a kind of locked-in classic heaviness that you don't get from a war metal band. Where mm-hmm. You're kind of just like in a vacuum that wants to kill you.
2: Um,
1: <laughs> the um. This is so a great example of that is the end of that. You get the blasting solo with the, you know, the, the sort of gothic riffing underneath, and then just <laughs> um, you just get this big galloping 6-8 thing, and you can headbang to it. Um, throughout this record, there's a concern for headbanging, and parts like that remind me of another uh, band we haven't mentioned, Ara Noir. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Like, there's a big... Um, I, I sort of poo-pooed that stuff for a while, but I went back to it on Damien Master's recommendation, and I actually really... I liked it back in the day. I, I still like it. Um, it's uh, There's this kind of... Um, uh, uh, a, a nastier, less retro-chic take on Black Thrash, basically, um, that has a lot of these kinds of um, big... Uh, sort of slanging and banging uh, headbanging parts. Um, so, anyway, that's that's a, a characteristic. They never miss a chance. Uh, Blood Serpent never miss a chance for headbanging.
0: Yeah, and uh, well, that's definitely going to be part of my first sample. Um, so nice. I want to go to Wielder of Pestilent Flame, which is probably my favorite track on the record. Um, I think the most interesting thing about Blood Serpent to me is <clears throat> whether whether intentionally or just as a result of trying to do war metal in sort of a, a format inappropriate for it, you know, two men with a drum machine. Um, there's a lot of stuff on this record that sounds very attached to like traditional heavy metal to me. Uh, there's a lot of trad stuff. There's a lot of like early, like pre 1986 thrash stuff. Um, and on "Wielder of Pestle and Flame," we're gonna start uh, a couple minutes into the song. We're actually gonna get to a section that just sounds like uh, sort of an uh, a very old school first three albums Bathory section, including the the holdover bluesy Motorhead bass line that you know mm. would be all but it, kinds of techniques that would be all but expunged from extreme metal by 1989. So. I'm curious, and I'll I'll have to ask the guys about this, you know, were these deliberate callbacks to this era, or is this the result of, like, trying to meticulously recreate original war metal stuff, but as a result of the relative lack of chaos and clatter, these ideas just come through much more directly than they would otherwise?
4: It's just
0: That we hear in that sample, uh, outside of you know the the really aggressive blasting stuff, is really attainable for Bathory on the return. And yeah. I, I, I think that's super interesting to hear on a record like this. And this isn't the only moment. This is probably the, the biggest and most obvious and extended moment like that on this record. But a lot of the other songs are dotted with stuff like this that call back to, like, from 85 to 87. And certain elements like that, that awesome bass lick that keeps popping up that little do 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 phrase that's straight out of the nwo bhm playbook that was still playing with a lot of that bluesy boogie rock stuff that again was out of metal by the late 80s um so again i want to ask that question is like is this a, a a deliberate first-hand influence on this music or is this something that happens in the Attempt to recreate something that blasphemy does, but without all the clatter. This is this is what results. You know, you're sort of seeing the the underlying framework of some of that primordial war
1: metal stuff laid bare. That, that it just sounds way more like Bathory than we realized.
0: Yeah, that like strip out all the excess distortion and the constant blast beats and the not being hmm. able to play in time is a lot of it. Just Bathory at the end of the day.
1: <laughs> I, I, that's an interesting question. I don't. I don't know. It feels pretty different. The sort of like swinging mid tempo pace seems pretty different from a blasphemy song, but. They have slower parts, but they don't really work like this, do they?
0: Oh well, I I I mean, bath or uh, blasphemy is a catch-all for the whole yeah. early war metal sound. Mm-hmm. You know, in general, is um, is what we are hearing when we listen to early war metal. Are we really hearing something different from the rest of early extreme metal, or are we hearing the production? Yeah, you know. Yeah. So I, I think I think that I think that's curious. And I and that's something on this record that I really appreciate are all these nods to sort of traditional styles of heavy metal. And I think in a lot of ways that this record is actually sticking the landing on a lot of stuff that uh bands like I don't know, like fucking Midnight attempt to. Which is this fusion of sort of Whoa. uh what?
1: Oh, no, I was going to agree with you.
0: Oh, yeah, like, this fusion of, like, modern extreme metal aesthetics and mid-'80s songwriting chops. Yeah. I think this is a a more, like, realistic take on that stuff rather than that sort of, like, artificial... Uh, nostalgia pastiche that we're doing yeah. in a lot of bands.
1: And, yeah, no, Midnight is a great example of artificial nostalgia pastiche. All those sort of goat bands, right? <laughs> M- like, Midnight fucking sucks. <laughs>
0: yeah, Midnight's so
1: boring. Oh my God. Um, I, dude, I run into people... I saw people... Them play with... I saw, oh, go ahead. I saw them open for the Black Dahlia murder and of course black tie wipe them out you know just
0: every time somebody talks about midnight i'm just like have you heard fucking abigail have you heard abigail because they've been doing what midnight's doing for like
1: 30 years um the so yeah midnight there's a whole bunch of other bands like that that are sort of like chic leather jacket with a bathory goat patch on it it's Mm -hmm. yeah that stuff is lame so um and that's one reason the sort of first wave type stuff gets a bad rap because of those bads, um, or at least gets a bad rap from us. Um, but this is a very different way of doing it. You know, Ara Noir did it differently. I mean, when I was saying, oh, they're a better take on this Black Thrash style, I was thinking of Than Midnight. Um, but the, uh, <laughs> another one that I just thought of, based on what you were saying, um, is like, does this sound like a fucking, um, uh goat whore? Uh, kind of
0: in places Goat Horror at um, Goat Horror at this point is a band that's like operated so long in their peculiar songwriting niche nobody really sounds like them but I, I get what you mean and as far as like the synthesis of Extreme metal and like older hard rock yeah. and trap metal ideas go. Yeah, definitely
1: the, the blasting parts in in go or are very kind of war metaly And then they have the, these are the really burly low-end blasting and then they have sort of uh, Various kinds of galloping thrash beats. Mm-hmm. And So this is it's sort of yeah, it's it's weird It's it's, it's reminding me of these like heavy heavy aggressive thrashing black death stuff from the early 2000s that has been totally forgotten
0: yeah yeah this is this is a record that rediscovers a lot of uh cool dead ends that maybe weren't Mm. dead ends at all um let me get to another one uh this is blood defilement uh and this one's a little bit more straightforward and like down the middle war metal but the riffing is really interesting, and the primary riff here might be my favorite on the record. Um, it's a, a super weird hybrid riff with like a Panzer Division Marduk front half and like a Tampa Death Metal Trem Riff back half. Super weird. Um, but I, I think that it, it goes to telling you a lot about where this band's priorities are in terms of songwriting, and uh we'll get into it in a little bit. I love all the grinding power chord stuff and that that sudden twist into that dan 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 <laughs> you know that, <laughs> that very very uh, azoctot or cryptopsy kind of phrasing and you know cryptopsy is a lot that's derived from azoctot anyway um pr- proving once again the, the, the thing that it took everybody you know I I think it's established now but it took so many years for everybody to realize that the legacy of Tampa is morbid angel like 30 paces in front of basically every other band. Yeah. You know. Uh, Azictote's guitar style is still the most important thing that the Tampa death metal scene ever produced, and it's, like, not even a fucking question. Other good bands are out there, sure, but as far as, like, what mattered technologically, it was all in the hands of Trey Azictote, our favorite professional drinker. Um... So I I think that what is happening on this record is a, a songwriting technique that we have we've talked about plenty on the show which is about how if you want to sound like a band or a style you don't listen to that style you listen to the constituent influences that made that style or band. Um I think that Blood Serpent in their effort to sound like war metal, have gone back and listened to all the things that fed into war metal. Stuff like very early Morbid Angel, um, uh, very early black metal, uh, you know, primitive mayhem stuff and Bathory, a whole host of early black and death metal, as well as a lot of holdover thrash and heavy metal stuff that have basically been forgotten from the equation. And what has come out Of All that research process is their own take on war metal that does not merely sound like every other war metal band because anybody who listens to that pantheon of influences will take different things away from it and uh, have different points of emphasis based on their own personal taste. Which is why, if you try to make a band that sounds like Revenge, it's going to fucking suck. But if you listen to all the things that Revenge listen to, you're going to come out with something that doesn't sound like Revenge, but is actually good.
3: To the power of God's will, of God's grace Through the grasp of hell, through these leaps of rage like From a burning rock, a steaming raw breathing in us, please from afar, like a red death, in strange grace, in foul hate. Like a vulture in its birth it's It its teeth in erratic speed through narrow earth. It's walls of swords into the claws of Satan's breed. Black Metal jaw In a fair screen Black Metal Joe